Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, emerging perspectives on people, process, and profits. Your host is Olivia Parr-Rood. In today's fast-paced, high-tech global economy, the business landscape is constantly evolving. To be successful, companies must continually adapt as well as identify and exploit new opportunities. Now, here is the host of Quantum Business Insights, Olivia Parr-Rood. Hi, Olivia here. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, where each week we explore new perspectives on the changing nature of business with thought leaders from around the world and with a special emphasis on what I feel is our most valuable asset, our human capital. Today, I'm very excited to have as my guest, Dr. Judy Neal, chairman of Edgewalkers International. We'll be discussing a topic near and dear to my heart, Edgewalkers. But first, let me tell you a little bit about Judy. Her current focus is running Edgewalkers International, a coaching and consulting firm. She's recently retired as director of the Tyson Center for Faith and Spirituality in the Workplace at the Sam M. Walton College of Business at the University of Arkansas. And she was also founder of the International Center for Spirit at Work. That's how I found her. And author of Edgewalkers, People and Organizations that Take Risks, Build Bridges, and Break New Ground. Judy, welcome to Quantum Business Insights. Oh, Olivia, it's just my great honor and privilege to be here. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. So, of course, I studied with you many years ago. When I found this work, it really spoke to me because I did feel like I lived in two worlds. I was in this kind of high-paced corporate setting, and then I had my own spiritual practice, and it felt like they were very disconnected. And then over the years, I, I found ways to integrate them. And when I read your book and took your workshop, I just felt like you had such a vision, not only for what I was experiencing, but what many others may be experiencing and what is so needed today. So for our listeners, can you tell me what exactly is an edgewalker? And maybe give us a perspective if it's new and have, there always, have they always been around or is it a new phenomenon? Oh, great questions. Thank you. Um, you know, one of the things I love to do when I do workshops is actually ask people what they think an edge walker is because the word itself really connotes some images and feelings and experiences for people, you know, about walking mm-hmm. between worlds, about being on the leading edge, um, about being edgy. Uh, and so an, an edge walker is, I mean, the basic definition is there's somebody who walks between worlds and that they integrate them that, you know, you talked about your own experience of feeling that they were originally very separate, and then over time you've come to integrate them. So I was studying what are the skills and qualities of people who've learned how to integrate these two worlds or more worlds. Usually it's multiple worlds. And so that's what the book is about. But your question is about mm-hmm. are there more now in the world? And I, definitely, you know, in the old times, uh, we would have one edge walker in a tribe. That was the shaman or the witch doctor, the prophet, the seer. That was a role that one person would play in a group. But our world mm-hmm. has gotten so complex and so fast and so unpredictable 
that I think something's evolving in humanity that allows us to deal with this greater complexity um, and to use a, a greater kind of intelligence. And so there are definitely more edgewalkers emerging in the world because it's it's a survival, it's a necessity, but it's also evolution. Mm-hmm. So why do we need them? And you've kind of alluded to this, but I'd love you to mm-hmm. expand a little bit on that. Oh, thank you. There's a lot of lot of things that have changed in the world in the last ten or twenty years, and one of the biggest ones is the internet and how it's mm. made us so much more interconnected and lots of different kinds of technology have brought the world together and you know two generations ago or so three generations people would grow up in the same town and Mm. know everybody in the town and uh, go to one church or one temple or you know everything was pretty predictable and stable and so and also they they I was going to say they didn't know anything about the rest of the world either, right? Exactly. And, and mm-hmm. not much curiosity and much, not much need to. But mm-hmm. now the world has gotten, it, it is one planet. It is, everything's accessible to us immediately. We know what's going on with the politics and the wars and the finances and the environment. We can do that at a touch of a button and find out mm-hmm. anything, anywhere. And people travel. You know, airfare has gotten cheaper, and so people travel and they um, go to school in different countries. And it's just become such a, a global environment that uh, just the most basic thing is learning to understand other cultures, other worldviews. That, that's an essential skill in business today yeah, because every business, even a solo entrepreneur, finds that they have international opportunities, so they need to understand how to work in other cultures. That's just, you know, kind of basic Edgewalker 101. Oh, um, okay. Then, so, <laughs> you know, the cross-cultural or cross-functional, um, being able to understand multiple perspectives in the functions of a business, you know, to mm-hmm. understand human resources and information technology or to understand sales and production instead mm. of being you know, locked into one particular function and worldview and trying to optimize everything in your organization for your function, people that are successful and companies that are successful are encouraging people to look cross-functionally and holistically. And so that's, that falls right into the ballpark of the Edgewalker skills and qualities but beyond that is also the spiritual aspect, the, mm-hmm. the ability to sense um, the invisible, the things that there aren't empirical evidence for, but there's an internal knowing, an intuition, mm. a trusting, um, or even like you talked about your spiritual practices, you know, to hone one's spiritual practices so that you are more clear about who you are, why you're here, um, and open to spiritual guidance, whatever that might, what form it might take for you. It's different for everyone. Well, and there's this big push now for CEOs. You know, the, the, book, the book Blink and other research shows that 
CEOs may not have spiritual language, but they always say they can trust their gut or they have good Mm -hmm. intuition. They're really successful ones. So, yeah, that's kind of right along those lines. Mm -hmm. So, you mentioned, and in your book, you have the edge walker qualities of being. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Okay, and maybe I should say a little bit about where my where they came from, because this is research-based. You know, my background is um, academic. I have a Ph.D. from Yale and studied organizational behavior and then went into corporate world and was mm-hmm. an, an organizational development consultant for Honeywell and other companies. And oh, wow. so I have both the research interests. I'm always curious about, you know, understanding at a deeper conceptual level of things. And you're the same way. That's why we connected so well. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, you've got that same academic curiosity, but then how do we apply it? And the, and the questions come from what's needed in business. So how can we use research tools to help business be better? So, right. so I interviewed as many leaders as I could find who were open about their spirituality, their faith, their religion, and who were also very successful because... When I first started this research in the 90s, the typical attitude was spirituality or coming from a religious or faith perspective was too airy-fairy. That wasn't practical. You know, Mm -hmm. that was uh, new-agey or unrealistic. Those were the the judgment words around somebody who was trying to live their faith or spirituality in their work. And so I wanted to find people who weren't airy-fairy, um, and who were deeply spiritual. And I thought mm. it would be hard, but it wasn't. It was just really? amazing that they're so, I mean, you know, actually what I, what I love is the, um, the research by Paul Ray and Sherry Anderson around cultural creatives. Are you familiar oh, yeah. with that? Yeah. I am, uh-huh. You know, that, that research says that there's um, 28% of the population are really openly curious about spirituality or trying to live from spiritual values, sustainability values, cross-cultural values. Um, so essentially, for me, they were that's just another measure of edgewalkers, and that's the fastest-growing group, demographic group, in this country and in Europe. Really? So, uh, wow. So, you know, so I was interviewing these people. It's not hard to find them if you start asking around to find mm-hmm. people who are, you know, really deeply spiritual and very practical. Um, so um, I, I interviewed them and asked them questions about their life history and about their career and how they make decisions and what inspires them. And from what they told me, and I also said, you know, when, when you are facing change, what helps you? What do you do mm. uh, right. when you've got to make a major decision? What skills do you draw on? Um, how does your spirituality help you? And questions like that. Mm-hmm. And so I found when I analyzed all the data that there were five qualities of being. They seem to be just everybody I talked to had these qualities in some way. It just seemed inherent to who they were. Uh, and they, there's certainly things people had worked on and improved, but it just seemed easy for them to live mm. these qualities. So the, the, their self-awareness, passion, integrity, vision, and playfulness. Ah, 
<laughs> yeah, the Bifrid catches people by surprise, and it actually caught me by surprise because a lot of these things like self-awareness and passion and integrity and vision are in many other people's models in some way or another. But mm-hmm. the playfulness one was, it just jumped out at me as this, I remembered my experiences with these people and mm-hmm. stories they told me and this whole sense of humor um, and creativity, spontaneous creativity. And I realized that if you have someone who's focused on the first four, the self-awareness, passion, integrity, and vision, all of those are intense. There's an intensity to them. Right. Playfulness balances that out and opens things up for just um, unpredictable creativity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so I was really fun to find that out. Did they describe themselves as playful, or did you kind of characterize it after you just heard what they said? No, I don't think that, no, they didn't describe themselves as playful. And Mm -hmm. it was just something that I really saw, and I've got stories in the book about some of the playful things that CEOs and others did. And in a culture where there's a a CEO with a sense of playfulness or humor, Uh there is such a sense of community and bondedness and um, high trust. It's it's amazing what a difference that sense of playfulness brings to the whole culture of the organization. Yeah, and I also think it would really inspire more creative thinking, which they all want now. So what a great (laughs) idea. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So I I think it's critical and it was a, a fun thing to discover. Uh, and then I, uh, when I was writing the book, I thought I'd better do a little bit of research because this isn't anything I had come across in any of the management books. I was teaching management at a university. You know, I, I never came across anything talking about playfulness or humor or spontaneity. So I started doing some research on it, and I found this wonderful book by a man named Lawrence Gonzalez called Survival. And the subtitle is Who Lives and Who Dies? Mm. And, yeah, it's one of those, a lot of things just fell in my lap as I was writing the book. I mean, I could do a whole show on just the synchronicities and miracles that happened when I was writing the book. But (laughs) that would be fun. Let's plan that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it would be. It's like, you know, how does an Edgewalker live? Well, this is how Judy wrote her book. (laughs) Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, miracles, miracle guidance, all kinds of wonderful (laughs) things. Um, wow. By the way, I never even put in a book proposal for for that book. I mean, that's just another one of the miracles. Um, someone I kind of synchronistically talked to said, oh, I'll write the book proposal for you, and I'll push it through the system. <laughs> just wow. Unbelievable. That's attraction. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> then you yeah. know it's the right thing, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, but this book, you know, kind of fell into my lap, and... There's a story in there, a story of who lives and who dies in war situations, in um, mines that cave in, you know, where 12 miners are trapped below the earth, and um, different different kinds of stories where survival really is an issue, and it looks at what what's going on in the people who survive. And one of the characteristics was dark humor. Wow. And, was the, and the, they could tell, I mean, they could predict if someone could use humor 
in a life-threatening situation, they were able to switch the thinking of everyone that was around them. And mm-hmm. Because what happens with humor is it's a higher-order intelligence. When mm. we're in a survival situation, if you go into fear, you're going into the amygdala, the lizard brain, the fight-or-flight um, part of our brains, which is not rational. It's instinctive, mm-hmm. and it does not solve problems. All it does is mobilize your muscles to run or curl up or, you know, whatever oh. you've got to do when a tiger is coming. It doesn't right. solve problems. And humor is like the switch that lights up the brain and moves you into the higher-order thinking, and then you can solve problems. Wow, that's fascinating. I would also think it would relax people, like in a case where there's a limited amount of oxygen, for example, they might start to breathe more slowly. Or Yeah, know, just, right. Um, but to be able to... And I love... I mean, I've always loved humor, and so... And, and I've had people especially puns, you know, and people will <laughs> criticize me and I, I, or, you know, mock me for loving puns. And I always said, well, they're a high form of humor, so maybe that's true. <laughs> well, now you can uh, say they're a high form of intelligence. That's right. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So oh. you, if you were in a cave, in a cave that's closed, closed in, you'd want me as company. <laughs> that's right. Yes, exactly. We'd be telling jokes and surviving. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, can you t- talk about some maybe famous people, people that would that would be well known that you see as leading edge walkers? <laughs> no pun intended. Um, <laughs> oh yes, maybe it was intended. <laughs> maybe yeah, subconsciously. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Steve Jobs would be, uh, and I didn't interview him, but mm-hmm. I think he's a he was a poster child for. Edge walkers. I mean, he was a Buddhist. He had a meditation practice, um, oh. deeply spiritual. And um, although he had a volatile personality, that um, you know, he's everybody's got their dark side. Uh, wow. He was brilliant. He was intuitive. He was creative. He was charismatic. Definitely visionary. I mean, he mm-hmm. he changed. Um, you know, he changed a whole industry. Um, he was playful. He, um, we haven't talked about the skills yet, but one of them is risk-taking. You know, he was clearly mm. a risk-taker. And um, so, you know, he, he would be one of the people that's very well-known. And just to give you a little, I saw this morning that this is, I think today's the 30th anniversary of the introduction of the Macintosh, which was oh, the beginning of sake. it. Yeah, so what a timely oh. day. <laughs> a synchronicity. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's beautiful. Well, Steve must be in on this call in some way. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> we're channeling him. <laughs> yeah. So who yeah. else comes to mind? Well, let me talk about some people who may not be as well known. Um, mm. Well, well, uh, one of them is a CEO of a company in um, Canada in Montreal, and his name is Robert may. His last name is spelled O-U-I-M-E-T, and Robert is like Robert, only in French, Mm -hmm. Robert, we may. And his father founded a food company, a food processing company, and uh, the company is now about 80 years old, and Robert himself is um, pretty close to 80 years old. 
And wow. he grew up a Catholic. He's deeply passionate about Catholicism, particularly the social um, social action part of Catholicism. There's a name for it that I'm not remembering of that mm. particular form of Catholicism. And he has he met Mother Teresa, and Mother Teresa changed everything for him. And you know, for him, it had been very separate. The spirituality, his his faith. Um, had nothing to do with the rest of his life until that point. And she convinced him through just a few words, as she was so good at doing, that he needed to live his spirituality through his company and through his family, and that it had to be all integrated, and that God, for God is the word that he uses and most people use, that everything was given to God, his life, his family, his business. And he has um, implemented 14 different concrete spiritual practices in his company. He calls them spiritual practices. He um, measures them every two years. They measure how well these practices are being implemented and how well they support core values of the company that are spiritual Mm -hmm. values. Um, And they... um, you know, things like they have what they call a silence room, uh, which is a meditation room, and anyone of any faith can go. Uh, so these are have, optional practices? Everything is, everything is optional. Wow. And that, that is essential in implementing spirituality in the workplace. Uh, first of mm-hmm. all, because you'd break the law if you insisted oh. people... You know, <laughs> just, I wasn't sure know, about Canada, but yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, Canada would be very much the same. Um, and uh, and secondly, it's just unethical to force particular spiritual beliefs or practices on someone who doesn't want them. Um, mm-hmm. Spirituality should always be by invitation. And Robert is really clear about everything being voluntary and optional, and that there should never be any kind of negative repercussions for someone who doesn't participate in any kind of wow. way. Um, wow, and that's they actually have a chief spiritual officer. Really? Who, well, mm-hmm. so just let me, we're up on a break and I've gone a little bit over. So I love that concept. And what I'd love to do now is just take a break and then we come back. I want to hear more about the chief spiritual officer. That'll be a new uh, okay. three-letter acronym. <laughs> uh, so I'm. Uh, this is Olivia Parud with Quantum Business Insights. And my guest today is Dr. Judy Neal. We're discussing Edgewalkers and we'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Our workplace is dynamically changing. How do you stay ahead of the curve with respect to learning and training? Tune in every week to The Future of Workforce Learning and Development with host Pamela Robinson. You'll learn about real-world strategies, solutions, and resources that will showcase these changes and keep you ready for what's next. The Future of Workforce Learning and Development is heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kirk Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. 
Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, we're back. I'm Olivia, and my guest today is Dr. Judy Neal, and we are talking about Edgewalkers. And prior to the break, we looked, talked about some of the qualities of Edgewalkers and how there are more on the planet now, that, and maybe because it's needed for the evolution that we're so interconnected that a lot of people are living in multiple worlds, and how do we integrate that? And then we were talking about some companies that actually are, the CEO is, is directly bringing in some of the aspects of bridging worlds, and in particular, one company in Canada that uh, does food processing, and the CEO, Robert Ouye, Ouine. It's like Ouine. Ouine. you know, oh. like the French, hello, oh, the French, yes, we may. We yes, yes, may. We oh, beautiful. Thank you. I was having trouble reading my scribbles. Anyway, so you were saying, Judy, that they in, uh, put in a chief spirituality officer or chief yes. spiritual officer. Yes. I'd love yes. to hear chief more about that. Officer. Yeah, and there are more companies that actually have this role. Um, but in Robert's company, um, which is called uh, Tommaso Corporation, uh, they're the largest frozen food processing company um, in Canada. And um, and in that company, uh, the chief spiritual officer is there for to oversee the, the spirituality practices and more to meet the spiritual needs of the leaders, of the individuals who work in the company, um, and really kind of the soul of the corporation. Mm-hmm. And this is the this particular person who has the role now is a um, Catholic priest who spent, oh, I think he spent like 30 years in the Southeast, Southeast Asia, in Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand area, and mm. um, you know, just serving the poor. And so he's very cross-cultural, uh, very open-hearted, um, just, you know, just this beautiful human being. And in wow. this company, because it, it's Catholic-based, but it, uh, Canada's very diverse and has a strong value on honoring diversity, probably even more than the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's in this company, you know, there's never pushing Catholicism, only spirituality. No, we don't even push spirituality. But they hold a, a Catholic Mass once a month, and everyone is invited to that. And if someone wow. wants to have some other kind of spiritual service or practice, they're more than welcome to suggest that and organize that. 
So mm. it's quite, quite an amazing company. Um, there's yes. been many case studies written up about that, and it's being taught in universities because they're probably the premier company that mm-hmm. integrates it. You know, so, um, so we were talking about a leader, and not every leader will do this in their company. It may just be their own personal path. But mm-hmm. Robert is way out on the edge in terms of he's really lived it into the system of the company. And then now he travels around the world to MBA programs demonstrating what he's done in his company in the hopes that MBA students who go into business will be inspired to try some of these practices and approaches. Oh, wow, that's great. Because I, when I first got into the corporate world, I had been a spiritual seeker for many years, and I found it very harsh, and I felt like it was sort of the antithesis of spirituality. And I really didn't feel like I could even talk to anyone about it. So just to even have that being an open conversation and have support within the organization would be mm-hmm. would have been amazing for me. Now that was, you know, 20 plus years ago. Um, and I'm guessing the companies that are doing this are probably showing better productivity, more cust- uh, employee satisfaction. I just think it would, uh, do you know, are there any measures on anything like that? Um, I don't know of anything concrete. Um, mm-hmm. I know many people are trying to, like, to try to do that across companies and do research comparing spiritual companies versus non-spiritual companies is a little bit tough, but there's some things that point yeah. at it. And one of them is um, the work by Raj Sisodia and a couple of his um, compatriots, a couple of his co-authors who are also management professors or marketing professors. Uh, the book is called Firms of Endearment. Oh, Okay. And that book um, really clearly demonstrates that if you are a value-centered company that focuses on, particularly on, well, what they did was, let's back up a little bit and describe what they did, because it's so fascinating. They identified companies where people talked about, where customers said, I love this company, like Google Mm. and Apple. People have this sort of affection we love Google. We love Apple. You know, there's just this... Mm. Zappos is another one. <laughs> Zappos, yeah. Yeah, and um, the shoes, uh, the, uh, the Tom's shoes, I mm. forget the name of that. Um, you know, there's some companies that people just have this emotional bond with that customers mm. do. And then they, they also looked at companies where the employees talk about this, the company in those terms of endearment, of love or adore or you know, just real positive feelings. And then Mm -hmm. they map those companies in their industries to other companies and compared them. You know, so if Mm -hmm. it was an airline company, um, what's the company that... uh, Oh, Southwest. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, everybody loves Southwest. Right. (laughs) You know, so they compared those companies to others in the industry and found that they really outperformed them. So at that point in their research, they weren't looking at spirituality, and yet if you look at the the elements, the qualities that came up, they very much are in alignment with spirituality. They have now moved to um, looking at what they call conscious capitalism, which is right in alignment with your show, and um, and they founded the Conscious Capitalism Institute. 
Uh, and the two founders are Rod Sestodio, who's a marketing professor, and John Mackey, who's the CEO of Whole Foods. Yeah. And Fascinating. So yeah, beautiful partnership. And John Mackey would be another one that you could definitely call an edge walker. He's a Buddhist, and mm. so he has, you know, this deep spiritual practice and very strong sense of values that are just core to who he is and how he runs the company. And when they were first doing their work together, they talked about conscious business and they talked about stakeholders. And they are now openly talking about spirituality in their conferences and in their speeches and things that they do. You can see some of their um, videos if you go to Conscious Capitalism Institute and Google that and and you can hear these many CEOs talking openly about spirituality. So there's edge walkers I haven't even interviewed who are um, out there speaking and business leaders speaking openly about their spirituality. So it's growing. Wow, that's fast. They limited their conference last year to 2,000 people. It sold out, and <laughs> people were clamoring to get in. That's so, amazing. Yeah, wow. Pretty, pretty exciting and energizing. Gives me a lot yeah. of hope. Yes, yes, me too, because I think there's businesses are very powerful on our planet, and if we can have leaders with open hearts, I think we can actually do a lot of good. So I'd, I'd love to go through, you have five stages of Edgewalker development. And I have to mm-hmm. say, when I read this, my background, for many years, I focused, and I still do this work, um, on predictive modeling, which is a way yeah. with data to read the future. And so mm-hmm. when I read your book, I had this aha moment, because you said that one of the, the, the first stage of an, of an Edgewalker development is knowing the future. So mm-hmm. I have my predictive modeling, but I also have a very, I feel, very good intuition, and I sometimes use kinesiology, which people can Google to find out what that is, but, you know, a way of sort of tapping into what I think is some knowledge that's available to us, maybe through intuition and things like that. So I, it was really wonderful to to see my two worlds come together in that perspective. <laughs> so please talk a little bit about, uh, maybe we'll get, you know, I'd love to hear the five stages. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so please tell us about those stages. Yeah, so we can start. I started with knowing the future because the, one of the things that distinguishes an edge walker is they're interested in the future. Mm-hmm. I, I have other kinds of, um, I don't know if you'd call them typologies, but other worldviews that I found in organizations, just to contrast an edge walker and lay them out here quickly, that there's also the placeholder who's only interested in the present. There's the flame keeper who's interested in the past. And there's the doomsayer who's scared of the future. And mm. there's the heart tender who's very interested in what needs to get done today has been very mm-hmm. present-oriented. And uh, the edge walker is just so interested in the future in a really positive-seeking kind of way. And so you ha- if you want to know the future, first you've got to be curious about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yes. You know, in business these days, with the unpredictability of the future, you need to look into other ways of knowing than 
the traditional methods. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah, and so I talk about three methods. One is the traditional, which is the data analysis and uh, forecasting, mathematical modeling, and that serves us in many, many ways. They're powerful tools, and they're mm. particularly useful in a stable environment or in short-term analysis. Um, <laughs> and, and you could probably tell me a lot more about when and how they're useful. Um, well, just you know, when you said stable and when you said stable environment, I chuckled because that's one of the reasons I think these other ways of knowing the future are becoming more important. Because, as you know, things are not stable. They used to be very stable years ago, and these models worked really well. But you can't count on it anymore for any real length of time. So, yes, I, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I do think there's some um, uh, nonlinear mathematical modeling. Like the um, Nicholas Taleb, who wrote the Black Swan, mm-hmm. he's got some ways to predict the unpredictable, uh, which would be the nonlinear mathematical modeling. And so he's mm-hmm. he's sort of walking the line between traditional and non-traditional ways of knowing the future analytically. Um, mm-hmm. But he, yeah, I, I highly recommend his book. It's just fascinating um, to look at a wow. new way of using modeling and mathematics and uh, forecasting processes in such a, an unpredictable and turbulent world. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, so many people, business leaders, think that's still the only way to predict the future, is really to project from the past. And there's always going to be some of that that's true, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that catches us by surprise that isn't predicted from the past. So the, the second, you, and you talked about the second one, which is intuition, is the second mm-hmm. way of knowing the future. And there's many ways to tap into intuition. Um, and I interviewed leaders in many different fields who would use some of the woo-woo, new-agey ways of um, intuition from channelers and astrologers and dreams and um, hiring this um, corporate shamans. There are corporate intuitives. And <laughs> people will not, you know, most business leaders will never admit that they use someone like this, but people are making a living doing corporate shaman work. And, do, and Lynn Robinson is a corporate intuitive. Uh, she wrote a book called Trust Your Gut. You know, you talked about that, the terms that business leaders will use. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, you know, talks about the kind of work she's done with clients. It's just fascinating. And wow. people keep using folks that have a strong intuition because it works for them. They wouldn't keep doing it if it didn't work. So something's going on. Um, I love what the Institute of Noetic Sciences has done in their study of intuition Mm-hmm. And, the, and their meta-analysis of intuition. And, you know, they look at all the different studies from universities, peer-reviewed journals. I mean, it's good academic research. Mm-hmm. And intuition is real. We have it, and we can develop it further. Yes. Uh, yeah. In fact, yeah. there's a great uh, YouTube video by you, Rupert Sheldrake talking about uh, research oh, really? on dogs and, you know, and people, you know. So anyway, I, we're, we're short on time, so I don't want to get too much detail. But I think the Noetic Sciences Institute and Rupert Sheldrake are great resources for people who want to learn more. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I once attended a conference that was part of a three-year program training CEOs in healthcare. And wow. the whole program was teaching them to be intuitive. And they Really? Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. And um, I can't remember. They have like 50 CEOs of hospitals as a part of this. Um, Lee Kaiser of Kaiser, um, the Kaiser family that does the Kaiser Permanente Hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's definitely a mystic, has uh, huge spiritual abilities and a wonderful teacher. And now his uh, children are teaching this. And wow. I've, I've met and talked to all these CEOs who are, um, they work closely with people who are professional intuitives and they find out what their own intuitive gifts are. And, you know, it's like it's not in the headlines, but there's <laughs> so much going on that that's that's really exciting. Well, we're up on another break, and I know we have the third type of knowing the future. Let's wait till we get back. So today, my guest is Dr. Judy Neal, and we're talking about edgewalkers, and we'll be back in a few minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand. Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here with Dr. Judy Neal, and we are talking about edgewalkers. And before the break, we were talking about the five stages of edgewalker development, the first of which is knowing the future. And we mentioned certainly there's data models and analysis that can predict the future, and then we talked about intuition and how that's being brought into corporate training and people are being exposed to it in, in a lot of corporate uh, scenarios, which is really exciting. And then you mentioned that there's a third type of knowing the future. So I'd love to hear about that. Uh, thank you. The third type is co-creation. And the basis of co-creation is a spiritual principle that you must understand that you're a child of the universe 
and that you are in partnership with the universe and that, like the creator, since you're a, a spark of creation, you do partner with the universe to create. So you're powerful and you can, through your spiritual practices, create the future. Um, hmm. You can go on vision quests, you can work to clarify your vision, and then through intention, through affirmations, through um, what I call footwork, which is creating something that's symbolic in the material world, you can um, manifest something that is a spiritual hunger, a spiritual calling, and you can make it real and active. And so uh, someone, I um, can't remember who it is, but it's like if you want to change the future, you create it. You create the future. And uh. so that's the way to change the future is to vision what it is that the world needs and then go make that happen. Wow. Well, that, so, so, um, but, uh, and I, um, we have Edgewalker cafes and Edgewalker teleconferences, things that we do to support Edgewalkers. We just had mm-hmm. one here in Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is where I live, and had a speaker whose name is Lothar Schaefer, who just wrote a book with Deepak Chopra called Infinite Potential. And mm. Lothar Schaefer is a world-famous quantum physicist. Wow. He, um, he has looking deeply, deeply at quantum physics and the way the universe is built, has talked about how there's the invisible world of waves and there's the visible world of particles, and that mm-hmm. that is really holographic for everything. And so we have an invisible wave side of us as a human being, which is full of potential and unpredictable, and then when it gets focused, it pops into material reality, and Mm -hmm. then becomes manifest, just like the quantum bits of reality do. We're we're part of the universe, and so that's how it works, and we're so full of potential um, that we can't even begin to realize. It's so exciting to see quantum physics talk in spiritual (laughs) terms. Well, and I will say that that's the inspiration for the name of my show, Quantum Business Insights, because I read, uh-huh. I, I actually started reading about quantum physics years mm-hmm. ago and saw how with the rapidly changing world, if we tapped into some of these principles, like the idea that we can create our future by intention and 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 you know, visualizing what we want to create, that quantum physics actually supported that. And that, to me, was really yeah. fun. So I wrote the, mm-hmm. um, the book, Business Intelligence Success Factors, which, you know, basically is about the, the business intelligence and the data and, and the growth of the technology industry is creating this much more volatile world. So we have to have these other capabilities to be successful. That's kind of the the idea. And really the idea of the show is to allow people to understand this stuff and to know how truly powerful we are. Um, and when you were saying co-creative, I also, also came to mind how that could be done with other people. So are you familiar with the wisdom of crowds and how you can actually come up with something that's more accurate by blending a lot of people's ideas? Is that something you've, you've read about? I'm, I'm or? Not, no, all I know about the Delphi technique, which 
is a it may be an approach that's similar. I haven't heard the term wisdom of crowds, and I like it. Yeah, so it's there's a book called that that a fellow mm-hmm. wrote after he heard about a story and he did some research about this where some man was at a of a county fair and he and people could bet how many beans were in a jar and so people got all, you know their guesses were all over the place but when he averaged them there were over a thousand and the the average came out to something really, really close. And so he started researching this and he said, you know, we can see this in the stock market and how it changes. It's like anything where a lot of people put input, we're going to get more truth than if one person guessed individually. So I just found that really fun and, um, you know, kind of fits with co-creating the future that we do this as a group as well. Yeah, if we were able to have a shared vision and shared intention then everything can shift, and it can shift in a quantum way, which is a mm. quantum jump from yeah. one level to a higher level of complexity. Yeah. Wow. So, so we only yeah. have a, about mm, nine minutes, and I'd love to get through <laughs> the, the, the subsequent stages. You know, we may not be able to get into that much detail, but um, mm-hmm. there's four more stages to ed- Edgewater de- Edgewalker development, so I'd love to hear about those. Okay. Um, well, the second one is risk-taking, uh, and it's an, an, it's funny because edgewalkers, when you interview them, they'll talk about taking these major irrational risks that, you know, everybody says you're crazy, and they're very <laughs> successful, and afterwards people say you're brilliant. And yes. <laughs> you know, right. but when they're taking them, uh, people cannot understand why they're doing it, but the edgewalker at that time, does not feel like he or she is taking a risk because there's this gut-level knowing, and it's going to go mm. back to the intuition and a sense of vision about where they're going, that they just really trust that making this big leap is absolutely the right way to go. And wow. so, so that's the risk-taking. And manifesting is really kind of what we're talking about when we talk about affirmations and intentions and uh, focus, focusing your vision and, and collaborating with others. Uh, so that's taking something that's an uh, inspiration from the invisible or uh, spiritual world or whatever language you want to use, but it's a thought, an idea, and turning it into reality. And so it has a, it's a bridging between those two worlds. And it has a lot of business practicality in terms of you know, being able to be organized and reach out and network and all the kinds of things that we're taught, but its basis is spiritual. And then the next one is focusing, and focusing has um, very much an inner practice aspect to it of being able to practice through meditation or prayer or contemplation or time in nature where you just get very present, very focused, and get your mind used to focusing. Um, it also has an aspect like uh, that Mahali talks about in flow. When you do what you love, you're so focused, like you are right now, Olivia, but you don't notice time passing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, and yeah, isn't some of this flow. really, re- we rewire our brains when we do this, right? So if people find it difficult, like meditation, for example, it, it's a matter of sort of re- organizing our neural pathways to get to the being in 
more having more focus, perhaps. Right, and so there's that inner practice of focusing, and it's practice. You just practice it. It's an exercise. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I know so many people get discouraged because they say, I do it and I do it, and my mind still is busy. And it's like, well, yeah, you're human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really Pima Chodron talks about that. Just do it yeah, anyway, right? <laughs> just do it anyway. It's the practice. It's, it's the uh, trying to do it that really matters. And then there's the external part of focusing, which is time management and prioritizing. And, you know, the stuff that, that's typically taught. But they're blended. Mm-hmm. You've got to do both. And then the last one, in the book, I call it appreciating. Um, but in the research we've done, because we measure all of these now, people can take a profile and see where they are on the qualities and skills. Uh, it's called the Edgewalker Profile. And we found that the elements of what I called appreciating are actually more like what Malcolm Gladwell calls connecting. Oh, so it's okay. making connections. So it's, that's the new term. It's making connections between ideas and things and people and stuff that normally doesn't go together, the edgewalkers have the ability to see the connections that others don't see or to make connections between people or, or to connect um, and see the oneness, the similarities in cultures. So they just have a way of seeing and acting on that seeing that's the connecting part. So that's the, the fifth skill now. Um, and it used to be called appreciating because it's like the law of attraction, that what you appreciate, what you pay attention to, what you give energy to, grows. And so why not pay attention to good things? Because that's what you want to have grow. Right. Well, thank you. That's, that's amazing. So we just have a couple minutes, and I'd love to have you share a little bit about, you did mention that you have calls, so people can go to edgewalkers.org and get more information, right? Well, um, yeah, and do, tell us about some of the things. Mm-hmm. Pardon? Yeah, I'd love to have you share with my listeners some of the things that you offer. You have the monthly conference calls, you said, and yeah. what are some of the other things that, that well, are I'm there? Well, I just want to say the, the next month we um, actually have an intuitive, a corporate intuitive as our guest. I don't usually do guests, but we sit every once in a while a woman named Sharon Massoff, and she's going to do intuitive readings on the phone for people. So oh, how be fun. <laughs> that'll be different. And so all the phone number information is on the edgewalker.org website. Um, we do Edgewalker cafes. Um, so there's so many different places. Uh, the weird places that we have Edgewalker cafes are Houston, um, Fayetteville, Arkansas, where I live, and Dubai. Wow, that's we awesome. A, Dubai. Yeah, I have a business, yeah, have a business partner in Dubai and some in Germany. It's an international organization. Um, wow, and others great. that want to start an Edgewalker Cafe or a book study group, um, I'm preparing some materials to help them do that. And oh, yeah, and we do coaching and we do training sessions and Edgewalker retreats and um, yeah, just ways to share this whole concept. And to help the edge walkers who often feel like they're alone and crazy because they're out there on the edge, there's not a lot of people that support this kind of edginess. And yet, Mm -hmm. there's so many of us in the world who are wanting to do good things and wanting to use our spirituality and wanting to be more of a global human. And so as we come together, we give each other courage and inspiration. Well, that's... 
wonderful and such a great way to close. So we are out of time. Judy, thank you so much for being my guest today. I hope you'll come back and visit us again. Oh, Olivia, you know, this was really fun and very, very (laughs) energizing for me, and I hope for your listeners as well. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. So next week, my guest will be Robert Johnson, Jr. and John Kleiman of Insignium. And we'll be delving into power, uh, the power of strategy innovation. So we'll learn how to create an innovation strategy that enables enterprises to innovate through identifying new strategic frontiers, generate creativity, and executing growth opportunities on those frontiers. So you won't want to miss this. Thank you all for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. I'm your host, Olivia Parud, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. Please join your host, Olivia Parr-Rood, again next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk again next week.